You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Hello, Third Church family. Corey here. So grateful to uh, be with you in this way on the first Sunday of the new calendar year. Um, I hope that you had a really enjoyable and safe New Year's celebration with loved ones and close family members and friends, and really grateful that we can worship uh, together like this uh, as we begin a new year together. So I wanted to just begin with the new year by trying to focus on what really matters, what really matters most in life. Um, (laughs) So in, in, in sort of a roundabout way, I wanted to preach on the meaning of life today. But I promise it, it, it won't be um, a very long sermon uh, because I think it actually, surprisingly, the Bible makes the meaning of life pretty simple. So let's pray um, as we prepare to hear. Our Father, thank you for a new calendar year. Thank you that you've brought us through a tough year um, and you bring us with new life into a new one. Uh, we pray that as we begin this new year that you would help us to begin with our eyes fixed on you and that you would remind us what really matters most in life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 20th century, there was a psychotherapist named Viktor Frankl, who was German, um, and he, along with his family, were put into the Nazi death camps during World War II. And Viktor Frankl lost everything. He lost everyone, nearly everyone that he loved. He lost his, his mother, his father, um, his brother, and his wife. They all died in the death camps. Really, only he and his sister survived. And Frankl was in the death camps for many years. And because he was a psychotherapist, he couldn't help but study and observe while he was there. And he noticed something. He noticed when he was in these death camps that there were some kinds of people that he watched that could handle the death camps with fortitude and with hope. He noticed that they could face the suffering. He noticed that despite all of the horrific things that were happening to them, they were somehow able to endure. He then saw this other group of people in the death camps that seemed to die before they were even killed. There was, and what I mean by that, of course, is that their souls died, uh, their hearts died, their their hope died. Uh, they withered. They went out like moths. Uh, getting burned up in a flame. And so he started to ask himself as a trained psychotherapist, why? What what is it about human beings that makes some people able to endure and persevere and face this tremendous hardship and what makes other people just wither away? And so what he noticed is, is that the difference was, was whether or not people had a deep sense of their meaning in life. That that when someone had a sense of their meaning in life that was so strong and so impervious that it was adequate to face anything. But but if someone did not have a deeply held sense of the meaning of life, then they quickly folded. They quickly uh, gave up. So he, he ended up writing about what he observed and writing about what he learned in a very influential book called Man's Search for Meaning. Um, it became one of the most important books written in the 20th century in the existential psychology movement. And Frankl actually developed uh, an entire school of psychotherapy out of this experience 
that is called logotherapy. Logotherapy. It comes from the Greek word logos, which you probably recognize, which means, um, well, it literally means logic, but it, 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 it really means a meaning or purpose. And so what Frankl did in his therapy is he would push people to, to ask, what is your deep logic? What is your deep meaning and purpose for living? What's the reason for you getting up in the morning? Uh, what's your personal mission statement? Because Viktor Frankl re- recognized that everyone had one. Everyone has a meaning for, for living. Otherwise, you could never live at all. Everyone has a telos or a logos, uh, a, a mission or a meaning for your daily existence. Uh, but the problem is, is that most people's meaning in life is just too fragile. Uh, most people's highest mission in their life is to be comfortable or to be professionally successful or to have a nice family or to have a good reputation or to be happy. And you might say, well, what's wrong with that? Aren't those good things? Well, yes, but Frankl found that in the face of terrible suffering, most of all those things were inadequate. That the, most things that people live for cannot stand up to the test. They just couldn't stand up to reality. Whereas he noticed that other people who had a sense of meaning that was, was higher, that they had a greater purpose, a greater mission, they served something greater than their own personal comfort, greater than their own personal needs and their own personal happiness, greater than their own professional success, that if there was something higher than all of those things that they lived for, that they were actually able uh, to have much greater strength, boldness, fortitude, and endurance, whatever faced them. So (laughs) all that long introduction to say this to you, as we put this very tough year behind us, 2020, we all want to forget it, as we put this year behind us and look ahead to what, frankly, might be another tough year, my question to you is this, what are you living for? What are you living for? What's your meaning in life? According to Frankel, and I think according to the Bible, everyone listening right now, everyone watching right now has a meaning in life. There's something that gets you up out of the bed in the morning. There's something that motivates you to live every day. But the question is, can you name it? And not just sort of say what you think the Sunday school answer is, but what is it really? What is it? And why do so many people, in fact, maybe most people, have a meaning for life that actually cannot stand up to reality? Now, putting aside uh, Frankel for a moment, Let's look at what the Bible says about this. The Bible says that the biggest problem when it comes to human beings and their meaning of life is that humans tend to put their meaning in life in the wrong things, in inadequate things. The story that the Bible tells about humanity that begins in Genesis is that human beings were made uh, to center their lives around God and God alone, their creator, the one who made them and loves them. And that the only way to find ultimate human flourishing, ultimate meaning and purpose in life, is to center your life around the God that made you and loves you. But you probably know how the story goes, that what happened is, is that humans didn't trust God. They didn't trust that he was good. They didn't trust that he was loving. They didn't trust that he had good intentions for them. And so just like Adam and Eve, what human beings do is we decenter God from our lives. You know, God might still be in the picture somewhere, but we decenter him. We take him out of the center of our existence, no longer make God the center of our meaning. And so what gets put in the center instead? Well, ourselves, or more specifically, 
some personal need or desire or ambition or vision of the good life. And this is what Viktor Frankl says. He says that for every human to live, every human being asks, what is my highest good? What is my sunum bonum, which in Latin means the ultimate good? You know, what will bring me the greatest security, the greatest power, the greatest happiness, the greatest wisdom, the greatest prosperity? And we all have something. We all have something that we put at the center, the center of our meaning. And whether we think about it consciously or not, we live for it. And, and, and we think, you know, if I make this thing the center of my meaning, then I will be happy. Then I'll be successful. Then I'll have wisdom. Then I'll have control. But as Franco found, uh, almost everything we put in the center of our lives is not adequate to hold up to reality and to face suffering and pain. Frankl found that most of the things that people live for are inadequate in the death camps. And, and frankly, that's just exposing what has been true all along. So let me just give you an example of this. Uh, if you're, let's say, for, for many people, it's their, uh, their romantic relationship. Say your spouse or uh, someone you're deeply attached to uh, is kind of bringing you meaning in life. Now, just think about that. If your spouse, if the way your spouse loves you and cares for you, uh, if the way that, how your spouse sees you, um, adores you, if, if that is your meaning in life, your marriage or some important relationship, then unfortunately you are setting yourself up for a very vulnerable situation. Uh, when your relationship is going well, things will feel fine. But the problem is, is that your spouse is a human being and your spouse is a sinner. And therefore, your spouse will make mistakes, and your spouse will disappoint you, and your spouse will fail you. And I hate to say this, your spouse may ultimately walk away, either because of unfaithfulness or because of death. And so living for that kind of relationship just doesn't hold up to reality. Same thing when it comes to children. People often make their meaning in life, their children or even their grandchildren. You know, what's interesting, if, if you have ever read anything about child psychology, is that uh, people who hurt their kids the most, um, either physically or emotionally, people who hurt their kids the most are not parents who hate their kids. It's parents who make their kids the center of their existence and who look to their kids to give them deep meaning in life because they demand too much of their children, asking their kids to give them something that no human can give. Another big one I think that humans often do is make work or, or professional success uh, the meaning in life. You know all those stories about athletes who are really successful and um, they, they retire in their 30s and they're, you know, they're, a, they're, a, they're, a, they're a household name, they're super rich millionaires, and yet then so many of these men and women descend into addiction or depression. Why is that? Because the center of their meaning was their work and their professional success and their performance for so long. And when it's not there anymore, they don't know what to do with their lives anymore. They don't know what they're living for. So I think you're getting the point that all of these things are good. You know, a spouse, a family, kids, professional success, ambition, um, a, a cause. And all of these things are good things, but none of them are meant to be the meaning of our existence because they can't hold up to reality. They're too fragile. And, 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 Whatever it is that you put there, whether it's a relationship or a, a political cause or uh, even just making a difference in the world, whatever it is that you put there as your meaning in life, all of it basically comes down to the same thing, that you're centering your meaning in life around what I would call a finite reference point. 
which in the end will not be able to hold you up, cannot stand in the face of the death camp, cannot stand in the face of suffering. So in the beginning of the new year, I think it's a really important time for everybody to ask some deep questions about themselves and about their life. What am I really living for? What am I putting at the center of my of my meaning? What am I looking to to provide me significance, comfort, security, power, control? Uh, what is it that gets me up? What, what, what is at the center of my meaning? Of course, that leads us to the important question. What should be there? What should you be living for? What is the meaning of life? Uh, what will give us not a finite reference point, but an infinite reference point that is impervious and indomitable uh, and that can withstand any trial or any death camp? Well, uh, let's turn to our scripture because this is where the Bible is actually incredibly simple. And I'll just give you, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say what it is. And I know it sounds cliche and it sounds like overly simplistic, but this is what the Bible actually says that you were made for. This is the meaning of life. Love. Specifically, the love of God and the love of neighbor. Let's look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. Um, this is called... Uh, the Shema, the Shema. The reason it's called the Shema is because Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four begins with the Hebrew word Shema, which literally means listen or hear. Uh, in Hebrew, listen or hear doesn't just mean let the sounds go into your ears. To listen is involves holistic response. Uh, it involves everything that you see and that you think and that you do. It, it's how you respond. And so God says right here in Deuteronomy six, Shema, listen, you need to, to, to really take in what I'm about to tell you and let it transform everything about you. In other words, this is what life is all about. This is what the, the meaning of life is all about. So listen closely, take it in, let it change you. And then he says, the, the first thing he says is the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And what that means is that God alone is God. There are all these other gods on the marketplace, all these other idols, all the other these things that promise satisfaction and happiness and prosperity. But God says, listen, God alone, God alone is God. Remember that. And then he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. First, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the Hebrew word, lev. Uh, and in the Hebrew worldview, the heart is not so much the organ or even your feelings, it's more like the control tower of your existence. It involves your will, your mind, your affections. It involves your deepest commitments. So in other words, you could say the heart is the control tower of your life. Love the Lord your God with the controlling center of your life, he's saying. Then he says, love the Lord your God with all your soul. That's the Hebrew word nefesh. And in the Jewish worldview, the soul is not just like this little mysterious thing that's floating around in you. The soul is actually means your whole physical person, which includes your outer and inner self. It's basically your entire physical being, what makes you, you. That's your nefesh. It's you, your whole physical and spiritual being. Love the Lord your God with all your nefesh. And then finally, he says, love the Lord your God with all your strength. Now, this is interesting because the word strength here is actually the Hebrew word ma'ud, ma'ud. And, and technically, that's not a part of the body or even a noun. It's actually an adverb that it intensifies his verb. So like you could say, wow, he doesn't just love her. He ma'ud loves her, which means like really loves her. So literally in this context, it's saying it means muchness. So it's saying God says, love God with all your muchness. <laughs> so 
which means basically everything else in your life, all of your possibilities, all your capacities, all of your resources, all of your time, all of your money, everything that's available to you, use everything that you have, all these things to love the Lord your God. And so what God is saying is Shema, Shema. I'm about to tell you the most important thing, the, the meaning of life, the thing that will make you happy, the thing that is your purpose of existence, love the Lord your God with all your lev, with all your nefesh, and with all your ma'ud. Love God with the controlling center of your life, with your entire physical and spiritual being, with everything about you and everything available to you. I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates it. He says, love God with all that you are, with all that's in you, and with all that you've got. Love God. This is the Shema. And it became so important to the Jewish people, the Shema, that this Shema became a fixed liturgical prayer that they still, to this day, pray every morning and every night from the day, from the day that they can to the day that they die. Can you imagine saying this? Shema, 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 every morning, every night. That's what really drives inside of you a purpose for your existence. And they did this for generations. Love the Lord your God. We know that the Shema is what formed Jesus. In Mark chapter 12, when a teacher of the law came to Jesus and asked him, teacher, hey, what's the most important thing in the whole law? In other words, what's, what's, what's the meaning of life? What's, what's the thing I'm, I'm supposed to be doing more than anything else? And what did Jesus say? Well, you guessed it, the thing that he'd been repeating day and night ever since he was a little boy. Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It just came out of Jesus, the purpose of life. And what's so interesting is that Jesus also then went on to say, the second is like the command, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus went on to explain that it's not just love of God that is the meaning of our lives, but also love of neighbor. And we know that Jesus specifically meant that one of the key ways that we do love God, show that we love God, is through the way that we love the people around us, and especially love the most vulnerable people around us, as it often teaches in the law, the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor. God says, I love these vulnerable ones, and if we love God, we will exhibit that same love for those people too. So according to the Bible, according to God, according to Jesus, the meaning of life is love. The love of God, to love God, to glorify God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Shema, listen, this is the meaning of life. So let's, let's tie this all together. We started off saying that the problem of human beings is that we live for the wrong things. We center our lives around a finite point of existence that cannot uphold reality. And our continual insistence on living for something other than God results in untold destruction and death. Our own meaninglessness, bringing disaster upon ourselves and disaster upon the world. We consistently live for the wrong things. But here's the good news. God has rescued us. He's rescued us from this meaninglessness. No one has or can ever fully love God and neighbor except one, Jesus, our Savior. And Jesus came among us not just to die for us, but to perfectly fulfill the law, perfectly fulfill the meaning of life, to do what human beings were made to do, to perfectly love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to 
perfectly loved neighbor. And that's what Jesus did. He loved God with all his heart, soul, and mind strength. He loved his neighbor with everything, even unto death. Jesus fulfilled the law of love for us. And then he died for our sin and rebellion and then rose to give us new life and then implants in us his very spirit. So Jesus has now given us the power to do what we could not do on our own. He gives us the power to love. We could never do this on our own, but now connected to Jesus, in union with Jesus, in and through him, we can actually fulfill the meaning of life. We, through Jesus, can live for love every day by dying to our flesh, dying to our selfishness and self-centeredness, inviting the spirit of Jesus to have control over our lives. We learn to love, to love God, to love our neighbor. Jesus is in us, making us more like himself, making us new. So friends, this mission, this mission of love, this is the only real meaning of life that can give you the power to face anything because it's what we were made for. Is it possible to live for love in a death camp? You bet it is. And Frankel saw people who were able to flourish, even in the face of terrible suffering. Is it possible to live for love in a pandemic? Oh, yes, it is. Every day, no matter how hard things are, you are given opportunities to nurture love for God and for neighbor. In fact, when people are living for what really matters, periods of suffering and hardship can actually help clarify your purpose more than ever. You know, this has been a, a struggle personally for me over the years. Uh, my tendency is to put in the center of my life my work or my professional uh, reputation or success. And when I do that, I feel great when my work is going well. Uh, but I, when it's not going well, I may struggle with discouragement or even meaninglessness. And it can make me even try to work harder to sort of get that sense of meaning back. But if my meaning in life is love of God and love of neighbor, then it puts my work in its proper place. If things are going well, I can do my work, not for myself, but for the love and the glory of God. And I can do my work again, not for myself, but for love of neighbor. And if things are going badly, I could still do my work for the love and the glory of God. And, and I can actually learn in moments of difficulty how to grow in dependence and trust in the Lord and learn patience and long suffering. And I can learn greater empathy and compassion for people around me, no matter what happens, no matter what storm hits, no matter what pitfalls come, when love is your meaning in life, when you live for love of God and neighbor, in every single situation in life, no matter how good or bad, every situation becomes an opportunity to fulfill the meaning of your existence. Last month in November, or two months ago in November, I officiated the funeral of Ann Bonsack, of our oldest members. She died at 101. Uh, at the time of, just before the time of Anne's death, uh, she was uh, virtually immobilized. She, she couldn't move. She couldn't dress herself. Um, her existence was circumscribed to a tiny little room. Uh, there was very little that she could do or contribute. Uh, and a cynic might say, you know what? She has no purpose for existence anymore. And that's actually what advocates of euthanasia often argue for, is that Life meaning loses its meaning when a human being can no longer contribute meaningfully to society. Um, but Anne, even though she was trapped in this circumscribed existence, she continued to show kindness to nurses and aides. She showed warmth even just through a smile to everyone. Uh, she prayed and sang. 
and worshiped. In fact, one of her last words were, come Lord Jesus. She was able to fulfill the meaning of life, even in the most limited and difficult of circumstances. It reminds me of a quote from Viktor Frankl in that book that I told you about. He said this, everything can be taken from a person, but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. And when that attitude in that way is shaped by the real meaning of life, love itself, then you truly can face anything. So how about you? What's your meaning in life as you start 2021? What are you really living for? Take some time, maybe in the next couple of days, maybe today, to ask yourself that question honestly, to spend some time with God talking about it. Be honest with God about what you tend to live for, what you tend to put in the center of your life. Uh, confess and receive the forgiveness and mercy of God for you in Christ. Ask the Holy Spirit for help and then commit to live for the real meaning of life this year, the love of God, the love of others. So God is calling you freshly this year to commit everything, all that you are, all that you have, devoting every possibility, every opportunity, every capacity to loving God, to glorifying him and honoring him and to loving the people around you with a self-giving love. Let's pray that God enables us to do that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have loved us uh, with such an um, infinite dying love. Thank you that you did not leave us to our meaninglessness, but that you came among us in Jesus to show us what life is really about, to fulfill the purpose of human existence, and then to die for our sin, to give us the possibility to actually live for love. So help us, God, in this new year to be honest about what we're living for and to commit our lives freshly to living for love, to live for you and for others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.